met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Uh, welcome to another episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee. And for tonight, it is a true honour to be speaking to, uh, uh, easily, uh, one of Subconscious Realms' favourite returning guests. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the absolutely phenomenal author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, Sir Gary Wayne. Now then, Gary. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, thanks, mate. Uh, Gary. Uh, firstly, uh, thank you very much for the last show we did. That was, um, I've not released it yet, but I will be doing soon. Um, that was incredible, like they always are. You just don't, you just don't expect the um, the connections. Yeah, and uh, so for people who haven't. Uh seen the show because that hasn't been released yet uh, i yeah. encourage you to to go um listen to the show about cern because we talk a lot about cern but we also talk about how it intersects with what's happening today what's coming down the road and how it connects into prehistory and uh, yeah it's one of those extraordinary topics that i think once people have heard um all this well and we didn't it was kind of a it wasn't an organized sort of conversation but it was an in-depth conversation and once you start hearing and listening to some of the particular lanes of the topics that's involved in CERN and there's a lot um it's one one of those things you don't forget you may not remember all the details but it almost hits that level in your brain of cognizant dissonance where yeah. you're struggling to think is is that really possible but how can i not sort of look at all of this other information and not want to learn a little bit more about what's really going on i think i think that's what that's what's so intriguing to me about about the, the topic it was like um one of the first shows we did it was tartarus and now I had no interest. I'd heard of Tartarus. Uh, I had no interest in it whatsoever, but I heard about it. And I wasn't being ignorant. It was just, at the time, it just wasn't something that, that I thought I'd be interested in. But after speaking to you, <laughs> it was, <laughs> I was like, oh, what is going on here? And it is like, uh, to me, CERN is like in that sort of, uh, on that sort of, like, level of uh, of a topic in my opinion i mean we all we've all got our own opinions and that that's just my opinion i just thought it was as equally as fascinating as tartarus that kind of uh, level of a conspiracy so to speak yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, it's affecting our lives and it's going to continue to affect our lives. And it really is, you know, comes down to do you think that's a good thing or do you think that's a bad thing? And but at least try and figure out what you think about it. That's that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's having that that, uh, that discussion, that conversation. uh, I guess it's helping us uh, decide on what we should believe or what's right or what's wrong. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in that conversation um, and, uh, you know, as we exchange some notes between the shows, as you were wanting to talk a little bit more about the Etruscan Pantheon, because yes, please, yeah. what we had talked about CERN being a god in the Etruscan Pantheon from where the name comes from, as opposed to being just an acronym, as most people sort of tend to think that it is which again it's it's the uh mythology in the religious aspect that comes first and then they apply a name that they can superficially say it's an acronym so yeah <laughs> sort of goes it's along the, with that the, sort the of, clever way of thinking they pull the wool over our eyes well it is because <laughs> they like to hide things in plain sight and they know people are been well prepared to accept things and they can do things right under our noses because we've been conditioned to to do that and it doesn't matter whether or not you're christian or non-christian it doesn't matter whether you're atheist it, it happens to all of us and all of the organizations that people tend to go to whether it's a christian church or not they don't prepare people yeah. for this so it's been well laid out and so when we talked about cern it was one of those things where we were connecting it to the pan gods and to a whole yeah. bunch of other different types of gods but the etruscan pantheon is where the cern comes from and if people aren't familiar with who the etruscans are they're like the proto or the people that was in Italy before the Romans got there. So they're and pre pre Roman civilization. They are. Okay. As with the Greeks, the Scythians are and the Aryans are the pre Greek race. And as in the land of the covenant, the Raphaim are the pre um canaanite people the aboriginal people that canaanites will yeah raphaim which is is the post-diluvian giants versus the antediluvian giants uh, which are called nephilim and in mesopotamia you have also aryans which are part of the four groups of indo-aryans that are there um who are actually show up as a people that Nimrod is concerned with and actually earns his reputation against as you look at how the Septuagint uh, translates uh, the book of Genesis and that he earned his reputation fighting these giants. They were there before they uh, left from Babel. Babel City is why that city was built, was for protection from those giants and also to do uh, a development of the knowledge that Nimrod has accepted and takes complete absolute power and he's going to build a Babel Tower which we're not going to go into today because that's kind of part of the last show but understand yes. it's these people that are there before and, and, and is the same case in in Italy, where the Etruscans are, and the Etruscans have sort of a center of their 
civilization that's going to be in the Rome area and of the seven hills of Rome. That's talked about in seven hills of Rome. Seven hills of Rome, seven mountains of Rome that Babylon in Revelation 17 sits on. Um, so it has this ancient sort of history that sort of goes back. And, you know, Palatine Hill is the home of the Phrygian or the Sibylline uh, religion as well. That goes back to the proto-Etruscan religion and to even before that, because the Etruscans move or migrate into Italy sometime after the flood and were part of four groups of Indo-Aryans that we've talked about in, in past shows. So you have that Mesopotamian group that we talked yep. about. You have the, the Covenant land that you talk about. We have the people of Asia Minor. And then you have the, the Scythians of... Uh, Greece and uh, Asia Minor as well that also extend a little bit further eastwards. And so there's a, yeah. obviously there's cross-pollination from the four different sort of groups where the Indo-European Indo languages come from, but they're the proto-people and they migrate from, according to as best records as, as come out of prehistory from the Anatolia or the Asia Minor region and so they tend to be the dark-haired version Dark. of the indo-aryans right so if you think about that that's the aryans that would have migrated as well into the greek islands like um yeah. in in the south, southern parts of greece and why you have that dark hair sort of influence they are the same ones that were part of the hyksos dynasties and part of the Hittite mix, and also part of the Mesopotamian mix, so that you have the Aryans of the Persian dynasty. The Persian to dynasty. take, yeah. So whether or not it is, uh, I'm sorry, of the of the Medes dynasty that succeeds the Persian dynasty, um, that takes their genealogies back to these Indo. Aryans and of course they're depicted as dark haired and so you have a couple different groups that are mixing around in Mesopotamia as well but when you look at the images of Nimrod he has this dark you know as you get it coming out of prehistory you've got this bushy dark hair these bushy black beard just as Gilgamesh yeah. does just as the Hyksos kings do uh that's just as the Syrian kings do just as the Hittite kings do just as the Greeks do just as the Romans do so you can see that sort of connection there as opposed to the red hair and blonde yeah, haired yeah. varieties of the Scythians I was just going to say do you think that would that be a connection to like the dark herd you just mentioned that uh, Nimrod being could he essentially be part of that tribe so well a lot of people say he was Nephilim, but um, because he became a mighty one, which is the Hebrew word Gibberim, which uh, Gibberim. is used to describe the uh, giants in Genesis 6-4, where it says there were Nephilim or giants and they were men of renown, uh, mighty ones and men of renown. Uh, the mighty ones is that word Gibur, and the plural with the I-M on it is um, the male plural and it describes the Nephilim or the giants as the mighty ones or the gibberim. Right. 
And it's a word that goes back to ancient Semitic as it's used in the Ugaritic texts, GBR, and it can represent in those texts. And it's sometimes you have to be careful, but it seems to indicate a tribe. It seems to in, indicate a description and it is, and it indicates maybe a particular name of a, of a giant as well, depending on how many pieces you, uh, when you're looking at it, they put put this text together with. So, yeah. uh, but it goes back to the same sort of meaning, but typically understood in the Bible, Gibberim describes the giants as opposed right. to being uh, a, a giant because it means strong, mighty. And so it's words like that, that it's associated with. So, yeah, so he was, he became a giant which is very odd language, and it's the Hebrew word chalal, which means to break chalal. an oath, break your word, break your vows. And That's so, it, and he's the son of, and biblically, he's the son of Cush. So we know he's not the son of a male god. He's the son of, yeah. of Cush, right? As he's spoken of biblically. So technically not a Nephilim, te technically not a post-Diluvian Rephaim, but something changes and i think it's the knowledge that he gains as as you get into the 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 babel story so but well, so he was he, he, just, he was uh, he was obviously he, strong and he obviously was able to take on the giants yeah do you think do you think it was uh like you say some sort of knowledge do you yeah think i think essentially got this from like i don't, well, I don't know about sound a bit far up but like an an angel or or what he thought was an angel well i would say not directly um, right. but it's possible uh certainly in all of recorded history and prehistory you have civilization knowledge coming from the gods or from fallen angels as they're talked about in in the book of enoch so what the gnostics believe in the in the Freemasons uh, from their ancient Masonic society and the tradition of the Polychronicon. Yeah. What they Polychronicon. Poly, Polychronicon, yeah, that's their ancient oral tradition um, that they have utilized in conjunction with uh, the King James Bible um, right. in terms of the prehistory part that has a basis of what's in the Polychronicon, and then they say they have more information. And people can believe that or not. That's what they believe, and that's the only reason why I bring it up. So their tradition is that um, there is a significant knowledge before the flood, and the knowledge was developed in two ways. One was through the knowledge that was passed down to Adam in Eden, and he had to have a significant amount of knowledge to run this absolutely huge um, agricultural uh, empire because it you know there's four rivers throwing through it like the Nile and the Euphrates and two other ones it's like it's this huge place and you have all of these orchards you have all of these forests you have all of these grains being produced all of these animals and there was just him so he needed and then Eve yeah. after that so he needed to get a lot of knowledge and this knowledge after they were ostracized from Eden was passed down to his offspring and in particular note to the Gnostics and, and the secret societies is Cain, 
who uh, murders his brother. He gets ostracized from the Adamites and starts his own lineage, as the Bible accounts, as what the Gnostics account. And this knowledge is passed on to Enoch, son of Cain. So there's two Enochs, one son of, Je uh, of Jared in the Sethian line, and Enoch, son of Cain, who comes first. And Cain builds his first city, calls it Hanok, named after Enoch. It's the same phonetic sort of pronunciation to the name. And then Enoch takes this knowledge and organizes it into the seven sacred sciences that we know as the seven liberal arts. And then that knowledge is being developed and then merges with the knowledge of the fallen angels or the gods, which takes it to a whole new level of things that we can't do today, which is, you know, along with that and the creation of the Nephilim giants brings about the flood story. And so it's this knowledge that they're going to want to protect. They're going to build monuments like the pyramids and all of these other great things that survive as a sign of that great or memorial to that great golden age. Zeptepi is it's yeah. also called the first What's time. What's that? What was it called? Zep again? Zeptepi. Um, so it's the Egyptian term for the first time, uh, and that's before the flood. And so this knowledge needs to be saved. And so they come up with a plan that they're going to build a two pillars, one that is designed to survive an apocalypse by fire because they know there's an apocalypse coming because they've been warned by their gods, and one that is designed to float in case uh, they're destroyed by a flood, because in typical history, there's two kinds of destructions and the different kinds of cycles through uh, our procession of the zodiac and procession of time. One is by fire, one is by water, and so they're preparing for both. So it's the one that survives by water that a fellow by the name of Hermes, Harmine, as his name shows up in the Gnostic accounts, and he finds this pillar, finds the location of all of this knowledge, which is buried under the pyramids in 36,525 books and stacked up in nine vaults. And he takes a lot of this information back to Nimrod and partners with Nimrod. And then they start to utilize that knowledge to build Babel City, build Babel Tower and thus the confusion of languages because there's going to be this rapid development of this knowledge that the flood was designed to uh to sort of stall the progress of that knowledge until all the names of the book of life are fulfilled from a from a christian perspective so within this knowledge out of prehistory and from particularly from the polytheist side is you get all of these different creatures that are created before the flood <laughs> including the chimera, right, with DNA manipulation, and we get yeah. that modern term by science today. So it's thought between his vows to Nimrod's vows to the new pantheon of God that he's worshiping, whatever help that they're going to provide him, and this knowledge that he becomes giant-like. Sorry, it took so long to get yeah. there, but it's 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 a, it's a long story when when you talk yeah. about that. Uh, I think just your old perspective on it. That this is what's going to make it fascinating just for you to explain that uh, i'm particularly interested to how how we would have become like a normal human like us um uh, i'll say human like us and then become um well a, a god giver 
how how would he like get from this particular state to that state? Yeah, that's, that's what's intriguing to me. It is. So you can get there probably in a couple of ways. Yeah. Uh, one one would be some sort of DNA modification that's done yes. after you're born, right? Um, yeah. Another way would be um, permitting a Nephilim spirit or a Raphaim spirit or an angelic spirit to share your soul and body because uh, you have an oikotarian and, and i did not think of that well that sounds incredible <laughs> so if, yeah so if you think about um shiva as the destroyer god yeah you know sort of as we were talking about cern um shiva had uh, well over 10 i think 12 incarnations into individuals just as vishnu did even more and vishnu was the incarnation into buddha to provide the extra knowledge Right. Uh, that right. Buddha had. And so it can be a symbiotic relationship or a total takeover by a demon spirit would be a possession where you've got the two possession. spirits within the oikotarian, the soul and the body, that, which is oikotarian means dwelling place for the spirit, dwelling. are uh, fighting over the same dwelling place. And, you know. and then in the polytheist religions, the shamans, the adepts, the great priests, as and and the royal bloodlines, were so knowledgeable that they encouraged a demon spirit to come in, um, and, and they may have been hope they may be hoping for an an angel spirit to do it, but typically it's going to be a demon, and somehow through their knowledge, the the belief goes that this will be more of a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Right. So and that's why you have like shamans. They like to put um, white on their faces. It's why you have like the jokers. They have that white background. It's why in it's, in theater they used to wear these masks. It's this just it's yeah. to show the spirit that is also in there sharing the body. So that, that's like uh, basically like a, a mask type. Yeah. Yep. Very yeah. interesting. Very interesting. And, and in that, and in their belief, they can get additional power through that way. I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't advise anybody to do it. I'm not even convinced <laughs> uh, an adept of this world can, of you know, the highest adept, could control the demon within her body. But people oh. do. People do what they choose to do. Um, so you know it's almost like that uh that movie stargate series if you if anybody have seen that where you have the gaul and they have these little serpentine things that are kind of reptilian and they move into your body and they take over and suppress the host that sounds like the british royal family <laughs> <laughs> yes you could make you could make a connection there <laughs> um so yeah so that's how he would have you know, the ways that he would have become that and he would have done the same, in, reintroduced the same Nephilim or the Nephilim, as I like to call it, with an A Nephilim. instead of an E um, culture that was the Nephilim world order before the flood. Nephilim um, is the root word of Nephilim. And so right. it's N-A-P-H-I-L-I-M, as you or would spell it. could be with an A-L-I-M at the end as well. Okay. So nephal is the root word for nephil. 
Um, right. And so they're related, but they have different meanings. And so uh, nephal means fallen. And, right. and Nephilim means a giant or a tribe of giants or a bully and a tyrant to sort of describe what they were remembered as. And so the Nephilim uh, are the fallen angels, the fallen ones. I am is male plural, as I said, or ones. So when you have Nephilim, that's like the giant ones, right? Raphaim means the same thing, giant ones. Gibberim are the mighty ones. Seraphim are the serpent ones. Um, so it's used in that sort of uh, re respect. And the Nephilim are the fallen ones of the Shemaim, or from heaven, right? Shemaim. Uh, Shemaim. Shema is the singular for heaven. Shemaim is the heavens. So it can mean stars, just as angels are represented as stars and planets, just as gods are represented as stars and planets. But it can also mean the actual stars and the planets. So you have to understand the application that it, that, that it fits. But the definition is heavenly ones. So the Nephilim are the fallen ones of the heavenly ones, the rebellious ones that who created uh, the giants. And so you get the name in Genesis 6, 4 that says the men of renown were the mighty ones or the Nephilim. Renown comes from the Hebrew word Shem, which means fame. And it also comes dually from the word Shemaim. So when it says the Nephilim were the mighty ones and men of renown, they were these powerful giants that were uh, men of the heavenly ones. You could interpret it that way and of fame, in this case, infamy, if you're not a fan of the Nephilim. And it would hold both of those meanings. Okay, so, do you know what's equally as fascinating to me is the old wordplay, uh, how yeah, the explanation to each word. Yep. I think it's um well that's what proper that's what thought gets lost. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things that I focus on in my in my new book is is that how the old and new testament is translated doesn't hold the full meaning to what would have been understood in the original Hebrew when a word was being used and its connections to source words and the same in the Greek language, because when you grow up with the language, you understand the nuances and the applications intuitively. So you can have a Greek word or a Hebrew word that can mean several different meanings. Yeah. And some of them are quite similar but a bit sort of nuanced and you have to sort of decide what is is trying to be translated in the use of that word and how does it fit into the rest of the sentence the rest of the narrative the rest of the chapter the rest of the book and that's not provided you get one small choice that is interpretive let's put it that way uh or selective and you don't get the complete meaning that would have been understood by the people of that time. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, because I, I, I would have thought that it would a completely different, completely different language. I would have thought anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it was. And, uh, you know, so if you're talking about Raphaim, for example, yeah. uh, which are the post-Diluvian giants is the word that's used in the Bible. It, it's got a source word that's 7495, which means to heal or medicine heal. or to be a doctor. And that's root singular is Rapha. And uh, so it's used in like an angel's name that people might have heard of as Raphael. It means, uh, you know, God is the healer or the healer of God, right? Uh, depending on how you want to make that sort yeah. of connection. But also these giants were thought to have self-healing powers. That's why you'd have to take their head off so that they didn't have time to have yeah. that self-healing power. Yeah. They is had this. They had that sort this... of serpentine replace your limb <laughs> capability, right? Is this and, why? What episode was it now? The Vlad the Impaler episode, what we covered. Um, yep. I th think we, it was uh, Vlad might have been a Raphaim. Well, he was certainly uh, from the uh, Scythian bloodline as he takes his genealogy yeah, yeah, back. And, it, yeah, yeah. Yep, and I'll, I'll, I'll make that connection. And within, you know, the vampire mythology that dracula yeah. is based on son of a dragon son of a serpent son of a, a serpent uh, angel or a god um he has healing powers right with his immortality right um so that's that's <laughs> kind of reflected in that and you have to take his head or stab him through the heart right kill him in a way so violently and quickly that that there's no way yeah. to to sort of make that sort of recovery just as goliath had his head taken just as many kings of the bible had their head taken just as that was the standard way of dealing with captured kings in the wars of the nephilim i mean yeah. the stuff is related but that's the source word for 7496 which is the word that means she is s-i-d-h-e of the two author denon a banshee a spirit it's the same word for uh shades as it's known in other languages or is ghosts it, or spirits Garrett, like or a, evil spirits What's a that? changeling is that are you familiar with a changeling is that something in this well, yeah, I mean, angels and gods are changelings. They can take different forms, right? Right. So, like Zeus, uh, you know, he took the form of of a of a wolf, right? When he created the um, uh, turn King Lycaon into, you know, the werewolf in the werewolf. Lycanthropy, uh, yeah. Right. And you have a strong tradition of and I'm going to get back to the Scythians if I can get get there and what we were talking about and link it all together here. But just to finish right, off right. on this track, you have uh, gods that would change themselves into wolves, just as you have Zeus in that uh, scenario, changing himself into a wolf. And what's also interesting is the Etruscans have their mythology that goes back to Romulus and Remus as giants that are suckled by a she-wolf god, right? right? And and that you have in the Greek world, which has the equivalence, you have a, a goddess by the name of Liska. That's a wolf goddess that was Liska. the wife. Liska, L-I-S-C-A. That is a um, goddess, a female god, uh, wife of Lupercus, which is a wolf god. 
and Lupercus wants to become a sun god. So you have these rivalries within the, in polytheism, and he wants to do it at the spring equinox, but he's going to be killed and, and destroyed by a bolt, bolt of lightning and, and isn't able to do that. And I am going somewhere with this, but what happens is, is they save his wolf skin um, that's left of this god. Somehow the body of this god is kind of skinned. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's really kind of bizarre. And so what happens by, you know, sort of right of inheritance that the kings have, and this is at the yeah. god level, but that's what comes down to the kings. There's this brother of Lupercus who's going to uh, become uh that sun god in his replace as with his divine right of inheritance and his uh, the brother of lupercus is the etruscan god called cern and what uh, <laughs> yeah so you have the cern that's you know um connected into uh the werewolf tradition and you yeah. have the cern uh, being also a god in the Etruscan tradition as the um, god of nature and the horn god, just like so Cernunos like, yes, and Hearn, right? Uh, so you start to see some of those sort of connections. And there's another name, in there's a great guy named Ra Casteldo, and I do some shows with him on TFR radio. He is he's descended from the Etruscans and he has ancient books. And if you ever want to get him on on the Etruscan pantheon, he would be um, uh, the, you know, the best guy to, guy, uh, yeah. to talk to. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, Gary, for that to come from yourself, uh, the, uh, it's on, on, on goes without question that way. I would. Uh, yeah. What's his name, please? <laughs> uh, Ra Casteldo. Uh, oh, Ra is in the god Ra. It's actually yeah. initials of his real name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, he's on Saturday nights on uh, TFR radio at uh, 7 Eastern. Um, I can send you a link on that. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, mate. Appreciate yeah. that. But, you know, kind of where I was going at this is, is that there is, um, there is a god that's also sort of connected in with CERN, that's that's the god of the forest, right? And that's uh, another Etruscan god that's called uh, Salunus. Salunus. Yes. Uh, so there he goes in, in, and again, it's really difficult to get a lot of information on the Etruscan pantheon, but it seems to be the same god, and this is the yeah. same god that's the god of forests and animals as the uh, the god Shiva, who is the destroyer god that's connected to CERN um, that we talked about in the previous show, and which would be equivalent to the Pan god and several other gods in the Greek pantheon. Um, that's the same as that. So what's interesting about all of that is, is when you look at the Etruscan pantheon, there's a god also named Hercules, H-R-K-L-E, which is the god Heracles, which is the Hercules. No, it's a god that's before the flood. Completely different god. 
Yeah. Now there could have been a giant named Hercules after the or before the flood as well, but Hercules is the son of Zeus that comes after the flood. So he'd be like a Raphaim hero Titan, as right, opposed okay, to yeah. the god Heracles. Um, right. And and what's really kind of all interesting about all of that as you start to connect that back to the Scythians, as I promised, is the Scythian god, which is in the third rank, is uh Dargatava and Dargatava. he yeah and he is the father of the Scythians which is Heracles which of course uh, you know he whoa. becomes the godfather of the, the Scythians before the flood and in polytheist tradition as we talked about is they in the rebellion against the gods they get locked up into Tartarus in the underworld yeah. In the CERN prison, that or the prison that CERN is trying to get into, as we talked about in the last show, at least as one of the goals and one of the agendas, in the underworld or in Hades, or Sheol, as it's known in Hebrew, and they escape after the flood to become the Tuatha the Danan, which are part of the Scythian groups of people, and Scythians is one of those Indo-Aryan yes. groups, and that they are also recorded in the Ugaritic texts as a tribe called the Datanu, which is a connection back Datanu. to the tribe of Danu, uh, and also that the Tuatha Dodanan are known as the uh, Tuatha Danu, or the tribe of Anu, the, the uh, Sumerian parent god, and that these were the blonde-haired, red-haired, blue-eyed, and hazel-eyed, uh, pale-white-skinned giants, so different different grouping than, than the dark-haired ones that we talked yeah. about earlier and so these are the ones that um you know as you you make those connections back from the etruscan to the greek to the scythians you have to understand that romans and greeks would be sort of the secondary religion that builds on the Etruscan religion, that builds on the Scythian religion, that builds on the Indo-Aryan religion, that is the same religion. So that's why you have crossovers and comparisons is yeah. because it's the proto-religion. So, and, and so as we get back to that, you look at these giants that survived after the flood as that history goes, it is through Hercules and through the Agrathi, uh, 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 a branch of the Hercules, son of Zeus, Raphaim giant after the flood bloodlines that Vlad the Impaler takes his genealogies back to. Very interesting. <laughs> is, uh, and if I, if I remember correctly, um, Gareth, it goes back to, well, potentially goes back to the fallen angel Tamil. Yes, uh, to Tamiel. Um, yeah. Also kind of intermixed in their mythology as Camiel with a C-H. Camiel. Yeah, and uh, connected to the T that um, was used for a potion for abortions. Yes, Camiel C, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm not saying the T today does that, but it's it's sort of named after that mythology. And 
the other name that people might be more familiar with, uh, because Angels had kind of several names and titles, which really yeah. makes it confusing, plus with all the different names in every culture, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes it very difficult to get through the weeds on it. Yeah. Um, but if you understand it's the same gods and it's the same pantheon, then you can start making those links. And if you understand the difference between an offspring god who rules after the flood and a parent god that rules before the flood, then things sort of start to make sense. But this Tamiel is also known in the book of Enoch, and they acknowledge it in their genealogies and their histories that Tamiel is known as Kezidea, one of those seven angels that provided illicit knowledge to the people before the flood. Kezidea. Right, so they, they were like the, the main opposition of of god is that that correct yeah they're the right okay they're the satans um right. who answered to satan and had rebelled or the watchers the seraphim watchers the serpent-faced dragon watchers that rebelled it, gary you know um a lot like like the angels like the, the seraphim the cherubim we've been through through them um you know the the nephilim would they have now, I know they're not angels because I'm presuming they're completely different entities. Which would you say would be the more, well, you would think it would be angels would be more powerful, but would that be correct? Or? Oh, yeah, the uh, the angels are infinitely more powerful than, than right, the Nephilim. Okay. So the Nephilim are the offspring of the original uh, parent gods before the flood. And so that's the sons of God, as they're called in, in Genesis uh, 6, uh, 3 and 4. And so, or 6, 2 and 4, I think. And so um, there's a term that is, uh, you know, understood. I mean, we understand how Nephilim goes back to the Nephilim. We talked about that earlier, that there are the children of the Nephilim, uh, of the of the sons of God. And... In polytheism, there's a term called demigod, and they were also worshipped as gods and typically as a physical demigod when they lived and then as the spirit of that god once their body died, which usually became sort of a brutal sort of demonic thing because it was very upset it didn't have a body anymore. And that's where hero worship as it was understood, came out of Greek mythology and that uh, they would have to do all of these rituals and things after the death of a demigod to sort of ward it off. And a demigod is defined in polytheism as, and in the ancient understanding, as the offspring of a god and a human female. So just as Poseidon created 10 Atlantean kings, five sets of twins, or Zeus created Perseus or Hercules through, you know, different human females, they were demigods. They were titans of the earth. So just as you have titans of heaven, which would be those gods, you know, that, you know, live in the spiritual realm, but they can take a physical manifestation, produce the titans of the earth, you get that same term as Nephilim and Nephilim coming out of Hebrew. You have Anunnaki of heaven and Anunnaki of the earth, 
used in Sumerian tradition. You have Sumerian traditions calling the Anunnaki watchers, and you you have traditions that calls their earthly offspring as watchers as well. And so they're part of that same family, right? They're the offspring, the divine representatives to rule in place of the gods on the earth. So there ought to be a connection, but we ought not to confuse those two, just as we shouldn't confuse Heracles with Hercules. Yeah, yeah. I love that, Gary. It is, uh, again, it's remarkable how you just fit everything together. Well, I try and get things to make sense. And if you yeah, if, if exactly, you, yeah. And I find if you just let the information lead you and match up consistencies elsewhere, it starts to make a whole lot of sense. The trouble is, is we tend to approach things with a preconceived biases. And then we don't want to really maybe go down an avenue that might overturn your previously previously concluded thoughts as a researcher you know the pure understanding of doing that which i wish science did today and and most things would do today is is you let the facts lead you where it goes and just because you come across inconvenient facts or inconvenient um archaeological uh, things you can't account for in your theory, you shouldn't ignore them or pretend they don't exist. I mean, you, you, you know, you have to be able to communicate things that will sound and, in fact, be consistent with other information that's out there. Other, otherwise, yeah. there's something you haven't accounted for. Yeah. That's what if you If you don't account for it, then you're not going to be able to make sense of it, are you? Yeah, so, you know, that's in archaeology, they got a very interesting term called oop-parts. Oop-parts. I thought you were going to say yeah, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when they Oop-parts. come along with and find something that is out of their theology of uh, chronology, or they can't account for how it came to be, they just set it aside and hide it. And it's called an, uh, an out-of-place artifact. And they just disappear because you can't have people focusing on stuff that would uh, be contradictory to what they take for a theory and try yeah. and brainwash people to be fact. Yeah, I love that choice of words and brainwash because that's exactly what it is, Gary. <laughs> yeah, so that, and, and people need to understand is they've been brainwashed all of their lives. Yeah. And you need to sort of brush that off if you can and start asking hard critical questions yeah definitely and one of those hard critical questions that you know you know we were sort of alluding to before is is how the heck did (laughs) you know hunters and gatherers build the pyramids how did they build machu picchu (laughs) right but you're not allowed uh, to ask those questions (laughs) yeah it's uh uh, I was. What is I, I your was, theory on that? <laughs> well, you have to understand that this knowledge came from somewhere, and what the ancients tell us is Definitely. it came from the gods. 
So they were taught, I mean, there was a development of the seven liberal sciences as we understand it, but it was accelerated by, um, it was accelerated by the knowledge provided by the gods in polytheism that created civilization, that created writing, created their agriculture. Same thing, you know, happens in the, in the Bible where that happens with Adam, right? I mean, it's it's just, are you looking from a monotheist lens or a polytheist lens in terms of sort of how that comes about and how, where the illicit knowledge that, that comes from, the knowledge that perhaps we shouldn't have that was being developed and that we're trying to, to, to develop today. And if we just sort of let the ancients tell the story, we get a lot of those answers. And it's the same story all over the planet, which again, scientists don't want to have a look at. I mean, how could, whether it's, uh, uh, I'm trying, I'll always butcher the name, whether it's uh, uh, Gobekli, Gobekli Tepe, uh, or, you know, can align those temples with their gates, allowing for ast uh, astronomical, procession to line up to the star Sirius in 8,600 BC to 9,600 BC is, is the time of the building of that, which of course archaeology can't account for, and no idea how that knowledge comes out of nowhere, no agriculture going on before, but you have this sophisticated astronomical knowledge that's embedded into the architecture. How do you have people who don't have a record of this knowledge build, whether it's the serpent mounds in, in America or it's Chichen Itza or in all of the Mesoamerican um, pyramids and buildings, the Egyptian pyramids and it's the same thing all over. They have sacred geometry that is put in. You have um, astrological and astronomical alignments that are put there, and they're built to a level of degree that we don't have the technology to do today. We don't have the technology to move those kind of blocks. And it's and they have no answer for it other than they give you pablum and people will nod their heads because they've been conditioned to accept that. Yeah, we don't, it's because we don't understand um, quite how or when, or, I mean, even when it happened, you yeah. can only assume. Yeah. So how does the same type of application and knowledge get applied all over the planet? How do pyramids show up all over the planet? Yes. How do similar pantheons show up all over the planet? Mythology. How does the, the same <laughs> astrological um, set of 12, um, you know, zodiacs show up yeah. all around? I mean, you just can't allow mathematically for these coincidences because you get to a mathematical zero pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. Almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and yet they continue to teach it as fact uh, instead of theory. I have no problem teaching it as theory, but they don't entertain any other thoughts. And now they persecute people for, I think, who challenge those thoughts, and they do that right across the board right now. Yeah, 
yeah, instead of, uh, I mean, like, we listen to their perspective, their view on things, and, and it's like there's a problem if your view's different. Yeah. You know, you've got these uh, serpent mounds in North America, and they all line up with um, equinoxes and things like that. And, you know, you've got this mound that you think would erode away, but it's built in a way to last almost for eternity, it seems. Yeah. And that the archaeologists and the scientists don't want to look at any of that type of technology that was embedded into the the mounds because they don't want to have to backdate their theology because it doesn't fit. Yeah. Do you think it's because they the fear that how wrong they could possibly be? Um, I think it will, would discredit them significantly and that um, they're actually being used, I think, as a larger game just to dumb, dumb things down and not to have people understand what really happened in prehistory because there's way too many things they don't want to explain. I Pro mean, probably because they can't explain it. Well, they could because they're run by like the Royal Society, which is all secret yeah. societies and, 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 and nobility bloodlines. And they all know where their divine right to rule comes from. <laughs> they could explain yeah. it, yeah. but they don't really want to explain it because there's far more human descent than there are of the Raphaim descent or the Nephilim descent. Yeah, they, they're, well, they're heavily outnumbered. Heavily outnumbered, absolutely. <laughs> Gary, it's uh, when will the fascination ever end? I don't think it will. <laughs> well, yeah, I think. I, I, but you know, I think I think more and more, um, you know, information comes out, and and I think you know, I mean, not not everybody's going to want to accept. What our hist or what our hidden history actually, you know, was, um, yeah. but I think more and more people are saying, you know, something's not right here. So we need to, we need to have a closer look. Um, but uh, it's going to face very very stiff resistance until the people who actually run the planet uh, are prepared to come out in into the open, and they will at a certain point in time, but not not before they have to. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to take something rather significant for them to reveal who they really are. I, well, in, I, hope, in I hope we get to see Gary. I'd just yeah. love to know who they are. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we'll see, we'll uh, be deceived along that road so that there will be a lot of uh, a number of coming outs, but. Yeah. we still won't get all of the truth. And I think one of the things that you can sort of look forward to on that is just with the alien mythos and uh, the coming out of the possibility that they, you know, that the governments actually know of these uh, highly advanced uh, uh, flying uh, technology machines and things like that. What they, what they, what they won't yes. tell us is actually who they are. Uh, what whoever they tell us they are, they probably won't. Be. Yeah. 
Um, so it'll be deception along the way. And another thing to maybe look for is is whatever might be coming out of Antarctica. Um, you know, there's been an extraordinary hey. amount of people that travel down there. And the only thing that we're going to get other than the, the imaginative, imaginative things that are floated out there, which we don't know is, you know, used as misinformation uh, or not, because, you know, we can't get reliable uh, testimony that, you know, you could sort of stake your life on it. But the consistent message is, is whatever is being witnessed by the highest levels of politicians in the world down there today and scientists is that it will overturn every preconceived notion, which is a term that comes out of adepthood, out of polytheism as first level of adept. That's the type of knowledge is it overturns your preconceived knowledge. But what I would indicate is, is whatever they say that is, it still won't be the whole truth. It'll be designed to manipulate us into a particular direction. Yes, yes. So I love that, Gary. That's how it is. That's how it will be. Yeah. You nailed it again, mate. (laughs) Love it. I've just sat here with that. You know, I, I say this probably every single episode with you, Garrett, and I've got that. As soon as we've finished, nearly, nearly finished, I've got that daft smirk on my face. <laughs> <laughs> feel like a little kid, mate. That was brilliant. Yeah, I, yet again. Uh, wow. Yeah, and it's just, you know, sort of, to me, it's just about, you know, having a desire to learn and to look for patterns because, there's patterns throughout everything and consistencies throughout everything. So once once one sort of gets that into their understanding, um, and then you have to test it, right? You just can't just sort of say, hey, I have this great inspiration and yeah. and because you're probably going to be wrong unless you test it because there's always more information. So, uh, and if you're, but, but if you're willing to, to, view things in a way that you're going to be adding to your 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 library of information then you know directionally you're probably going to be always going in the right direction but it may add things in there down the road that you 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 weren't counting on so so be prepared for that and if it doesn't seem to fit that just means you got to dig a little bit deeper and see where did i miss out in terms of how that fits incredible mate Garrett, you are a legend Seriously. Garrett, <laughs> um, before you go, uh, would you like to let everybody know where they can get hold of you, please? Yeah, the best place to get a hold of me is through my website, the uh, Genesis6conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6 with the number 6conspiracy.com. And on that website, I have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters for my book. So if you are interested in my book, uh, you'll get a good feel for the book. Uh, And don't think that uh, just because there's a generous excerpt in there that that gives all of the book away because it is the tip of the iceberg. So it is filled with information from the uh, front to to the finish. So, but it'll give you a good feel. And if you uh, also wanted to get a hold of me, you can contact the author 
uh, icon and click on that and uh, you can email me for if uh, you want some more information on something or I have a question and if I have a document on something I will send it to you I do have a lot of documents I do that at no charge and if you wanted if you like what I'm saying you wanted to buy my book and by the way my new book uh, will be sold and marketed off of the same website when that comes out um, you can get a signed copy from me by clicking on buy now and then buy from the author and i have a page for overseas i have a page for uh, america and i have a page for canada so uh, just click on the appropriate page and Brilliant. you can get a signed copy or you can also go to uh, the kindle click over to the kindle off the buy page and get a digital version um, you can also link on the page over to barnesandnoble.com if you wanted to, to purchase from them or to amazon.com or and, and or amazon.ca. So best way to get a hold of the book is through the website. It shortcuts you to um, other places, but it's also available on most online bookstores. And if you wanted to support your local bookstore, um, it is distributed for my publisher through a company called Bookmasters in Pennsylvania, and uh, it could be ordered through the distributor as well. Bookmasters, right, nice one, mate. Um, Gary? <laughs> um, from the very start, yes, again, you have literally as good as melted my brain. That was, uh, it's always fascinating speaking with you, mate. You really are, um, you're like, you are a, a pillar of this community. And it's been an honor speaking with you again, mate. Thank you very much, sir. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been enjoyable. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Um, I'm going to stop recording now, Gary. six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.